A reading from the book of Jonah, chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and he said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Mike. For the past two months, we have been working our way um, through the through this book in the Old Testament called Jonah, focusing on this theme of the mission of God. That God has this insistence on showing His compassion to the world through um, His people, and uh, it's it's this is a hilarious book. It's a small, quirky little book, and you get to the end of the book, which is what we're doing today. We're looking at the very end. And the ending is just as hilarious and just as quirky as the whole book. In fact, it might be the, it might be the weirdest part of the whole story uh, because the story doesn't have an ending. It's just totally unresolved. In fact, if you, if you um, are unfamiliar with the story, here's just the quick overview. The overview is God comes to this guy named Jonah. He says, I want you to go to this foreign city called Nineveh, and I want you to preach so that those people will turn to me and receive my compassion. But, of course, Jonah runs in the opposite direction. There's this big ordeal with the storm and with the fish. And eventually, uh, Jonah goes, and he does what God asked him to do. And everybody hears his sermon and believes it, and they repent. And uh, Jonah hates this. He gets triggered by this. He's frustrated by this. And that kind of brings us up to where we are towards the end of the book. Uh, If you look at verse 5, Jonah goes out of the city and he sets up camp, and, and he looks at the city, look, look at the end of verse 5, till he should see what would become of the city, meaning he's hoping that God's going to change his mind and not have compassion on these people and just drop a nuke on them and be done with them because he hates these people. But God doesn't do that, and so God in his endless patience says, okay, I need to work with, i gotta, I got to deal with Jonah again, and he does so in a really strange way. In verse uh, 6, he makes this plant come up over Jonah, and it says that Jonah was exceedingly glad. Uh, Now, granted, Nineveh is right outside of kind of modern-day northern Iraq, and so it's uh, arid and it's hot, and he's got some shade. He's he's loving life. He's got it made in the shade, and he's he's finally happy. The next day in verse uh, 7, God makes the plant go away, and Jonah loses his mind again. He freaks out as another temper tantrum. says in verse 8, it is better for me to die than to live. He's so angry. And God comes to him, and this is what God says in verse 10. Jonah, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, 
nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and then perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? And you're like, is that it? That's, that's the, it feels like a page is missing. You're like, what, what, what's, the, what's the end? That's the end? It's just God asks him a question, and then it's over. And that's how it ends. It's weird. It's quirky. But, you know, it's, it's fascinating that, you know, scholars and commentators have pointed out the reason why God asked this question, and it doesn't get answered, and it's just kind of left on a cliffhanger, is uh, it's a literary device, and it's a way of inviting you into the story to, for you to engage and figure out, how do you think Jonah's going to answer this question? And if you're Jonah in this story, which we are, how are we going to answer that question? How are we, we going to resolve kind of this invitation that, that has been happening over and over and over and over throughout this whole book of this invitation to participate in what God's doing in the world, to showing his compassion to the ends of the earth? And because that's such a, a, a focused question, a narrow personal question, I thought it might be worth us trying to tease out collectively, how do we as a church answer that question in our specific context, right here in Midtown? What, what does it look like for us as a church in Midtown to respond to this invitation that God has thrown out to Jonah, that he's thrown out to us? So I want to kind of throw out three ideas from this passage this morning. What does it look like for us as a church respond to his invitation to be involved in his mission. It looks like, one, getting behind Midtown, meaning that we celebrate this place, we cheer for this place. Secondly, it looks like us getting proximate to Midtown. We live and work and play here and embed our lives more and more into this part of the city. And, and third, it looks like getting invested in this part of the city. That, that our hearts actually sync up with God's and how he feels about Midtown. So those are the three big ideas I want to try to tease out for the rest of our time together. We get behind, we get proximate, and we get invested. So how do we get behind? What does that mean? Well, look at verse 11. Um, God refers to Nineveh as that great city which is a fascinating way to describe the city because if you know anything about Nineveh, you know that it's a, it's a city that's filled with problems. It's a barbaric, brutal city. And yet every time that God references Nineveh in the book of Jonah, without fail, he always describes it as that great city. He does it in chapter 1, verse 2. He does it in chapter 3, verse 2. And he does it right here in chapter 4, verse 11. Every time, he, he, he just shows you over and over that he, he cares about this place. He has compassion for this place. Despite its many problems, and there are many, he celebrates it. He loves it. He cares for it. Now, you compare that with Jonah. How does Jonah feel about this place? He is disgusted by it. He hates it. He's, he's secretly, it's not so secretly, he's overtly hoping that God's going to wipe him off the face of the planet. He hates these people. And so automatically from the beginning, you have this contrast of how to even think about the city that you find yourself in. How does God relate to the cities? How does Jonah relate to the city? And you think about our context. How do, how do we feel about Memphis? Does it feel more like how God thinks about our city and feels about our city? Is it more like Jonah? Now, I think on the surface, 
most Memphians tend to have a lot of love for Memphis. We, we're, we're pro-Memphis. You know, choose 901, celebrate 901 day, grit and grind, go Grizz, go Tigers, go Bass Pro. And, uh, you know, we, we, take the, we take the selfies in front of the bridge, we post them, ah, oh, the bridge is awesome. We take the, po- you know, all these fun, cool Memphis murals all over the place. Like, we love Memphis, we hate Nashville, like that, we're Memphians. And so, uh, d- despite the hype that we have for our city, I think if we're honest, that hype is fairly shallow. That deep down we have a tendency in the way that we talk and the way that we feel about our city to only see its problems and to only see its challenges. And so maybe you find yourself saying things like this, oh my gosh, the the roads in Memphis, the potholes, how many times am I gonna get my tires realigned? I mean, if you even think about driving in the right lane on Poplar, like you have made a crucial error. or you think about, like, the drivers in Memphis. Oh, Memphis drivers are the worst. They're crazy. Like, what's, going, what's wrong with drivers in this city? Or um, you complain about the Kroger on Union. It's like the, 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 the parking lot is just a, it's a disaster. Don't even go in the parking lot. Or, or you know, if you're a, um, an outsider coming into Memphis and trying to, you know, build, you know, friendship and find community, it can be really challenging because as, for as sweet and southern as uh, hospitable, you know, Memphians are, uh, there's also generational friendships and generational families, and it can be hard as an outsider to break in. How do I get connected to this thing that has so much history? So you can see the challenges. You can see the pains and the problems of Memphis, but let's just maybe make it more focused. Let's think about our particular context here in Midtown. When you think about being in Midtown or having a church in Midtown or living in Midtown, it's easy to say, oh, my goodness, well, the crime. The crime is such a, uh, it's, it's terrible. I mean, I've been here for a year, you know, we've lived here for a year and a half, and our car has been um, rummaged through four times now. It's just a rite of passage. That's maybe news to my son for the first time. <laughs> it's like, what? That's happened? It's happened. Um, or you think about... Um, uh, schools in Midtown can be challenging. It's like, oh, it's, it's hard to find great schools for your kids in this part of the city. Or you think about the cost of living in Midtown. I mean, through, you know, especially with COVID, prices are just, it's crazy. What, what is going on with the prices in, in, in Midtown particularly? And you think about all of these challenges. You think about uh, the, 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 our, our, our racial history and, and the um, political battles between the, the city and the county and the state can be exhausting. You think about how resources keep getting extracted away from the urban core and you have all of this blight and on and on and on. And so it's easy to only see the challenges, only see the hardships, only see the problems. And if that's all you see, you'll never be able to love Midtown or Memphis in the way that God does. You'll never be able to describe it as great. But that's, that's, that's how God talks about Nineveh, a city that's way more broken, way more barbaric than the city we find ourselves in. He says it's great for us to be a church that gets behind Midtown and shares the same heart that God has for this place means that we celebrate it. We delight in its weirdness and, its, and its, even its challenges and its diversity and its uniqueness and its beauty and its, and its greatness. It's easy for churches to take the resources of the city in order to make a great church. But to be a church that is synced up with God's mission and to be a church that doesn't just exist for itself, 
means that we take the resources of the church in order to make a great city. That's the trajectory, that's the logic, that's the movement that you see in, in Jonah. I want you, a person from the church, to go and to help make this great city. So that, that's the first thing. Uh, to respond to God's invitation means that we get behind where we find ourselves. We happen to find ourselves right here in Midtown. So what's the second thing? Second thing means that we get proximate. We get close to Midtown. Uh, obviously, Jonah is pretty upset in this passage. The, the word anger shows up six times in 11 verses. He's not a happy camper. He's, he's very upset. Now, if we, we know what this is like. Whenever we're angry, we assume that the problem is always the, somebody else. It's the, the problem is always outside of us. So when I get angry in traffic, I assume th- the problem is them. They're driving too slowly. Find the gas pedal. I'm angry at them. I'm not, I'm not thinking about how impatient I am. Uh, whenever I get in conflict with my wife, which rarely happens, um, the, you know, whenever I get angry or frustrated with her, it's, it's because she's wrong about X, Y, or Z. I'm not, it's not even in my mind that I could be wrong about whatever we're talking about. That's what, you know, when you're angry, you just assume that the problem is outside of you. So what, is, what does Jonah think the problem is? Because he's so angry in this passage. In his mind, the problem is them. It's Nineveh. He didn't want to go there in the first place. He's not a fan of this place. And when God does this amazing work in the city, do you know what he does? Look at verse 5. Jonah went out of the city. He just pieces out. He thinks he can escape his problems if he just escapes the city because he thinks that the problems are out there. He thinks that the problem is outside of him. And so here's Jonah's problem. Jonah's problem is that he doesn't think he has a problem. Jonah doesn't see how self-righteous he is. He doesn't see how racist he is. He doesn't see how smug he is, how prideful, how entitled, how mean and bitter he is. He, he, he doesn't see that the same evil out there is the same evil in here. Now, we do this all the time. We just assume that the problem is those people. You know, if you're on the right of things politically, you just assume, well, the problem is on the left, And if you're on the left of things politically, you just assume the problem's on the right. And, you know, round and round we go. I've been in um, ordained pastoral ministry for 13 years now. And I've heard lots of people who've come to me and have concerns or they're worried about being involved in this organization or being involved, like, living in this neighborhood or being around these sorts of people because they're afraid that those people or those organizations or those spaces will influence them in a negative way, that they're afraid that these people or these places will influence me in a bad way, or they'll, they'll you know, influence my kids in a bad way. It's fair. It's understandable. I get that. I feel that. I've never in 13 years had anybody come to me and say, I'm really worried about the way that I am going to influence and harm the people around me. Nobody said, well, if I move into that neighborhood, is my sin and my character defects going to impact this, this part of the city in a negative way. Nobody has ever said that because we always just assume, well, the problem's out there. I'm not the problem. It's them. Uh, you might be um, a fan of the Avett brothers, like I am, big Avett fan, and one of their songs is called The Weight of Lies. Uh, 
And the chorus of that song goes, the weight of lies will bring you down and follow you to every town because nothing happens here that doesn't happen there. And it's the story of this person who has all these problems and new things. Well, if I just move, if I just go to a new city, if I just kind of get a new adventure, then everything will be great. And they're like, well, the, the problem with that logic is, is that you can't escape you. Your problems go with you. The same things that happen here are going to happen there. You can't, you can't avoid you. And so we think like this. We think, well, if I just go on a new adventure, if I get around some new friends, or if I get in a new community, well, then all my problems will be fixed, and I'll be healed. And the problem is, is that you're the problem, <laughs> and I'm the problem. And this is where I think that the Christian gospel has a lot, of, a lot to offer us, because Christianity begins with us admitting that we're the problem. That the that the that the um, ground at the level at the at the foot of the cross is level, that we all come to Jesus in, in a position of need, needing grace, and that starts to chip away at this superiority thing in us. You know, one one of the reasons why we do a confession of sin every single week together. You might think this is that's really strange, or you may not come from a tradition that does that, or you may be not familiar with Christianity, you're kind of checking it out, you're like, this, why does a group of people use their voices every week to come together and say, I've really screwed up? That's kind of strange. We're publicly telling ourselves and God and each other that we're all failures. I get it that that's weird. Why do we do that? Well, there's lots of reasons why we do that, but one of the reasons why we do that is because we're incapable of loving Midtown unless we do. Because when we get together, what we're doing is we're saying, we don't judge anybody else but ourselves. We're not critiquing anybody else out there. We're, we're critiquing us. We're not pointing the finger at anybody else outside of this room. We start with pointing the finger at ourselves. And, and when, when, when that begins to happen and you begin to own that, that begins to chip away at this instinct in you to feel superior to other people. And once you begin to realize, oh my goodness, we are just as much of need of grace, if not more, than everyone else around us, that diffuses this, this excuse that we have to want to separate. We have no more reason to get away from those people or those people out there. And so what do you see God doing? He's always telling Jonah, go, go in, get deeper into the city. And Jonah keeps running away. He keeps moving away outside of. So if we're going to respond to this invitation for God to show his compassion to the world, what does it look like for us to get closer? What does it look like for us to get proximate in, in our context in Midtown? Here's a couple of thoughts. Um, for some of you, you might consider moving to Midtown. Maybe you don't live here and you think, well, maybe I should move here. But that sounds really expensive based off of what I said earlier. That sounds really challenging. And it is. It is expensive. And it is challenging. But wouldn't it be amazing if more and more people started to move into this part of the city as a response to God's invitation to show compassion to, to people in this part of the city? I think that'd be amazing. Something for you to consider. Maybe for you it's, uh, it's like, well, that, that, that's impossible. Um, so maybe for you it's um, cre just creating more space in your schedule so you can be around and get to know people who live and, and work and, and do their life here in Midtown. And um, you might say, well, goodness, I don't, I don't have any margin to do that. I am packed to the gills. My life is crazy. It's busy. I'm just going to write a check and y'all do it. Um, 
which is great. That's that's one way to participate is, you know, financially supporting what God's doing in in this part of the city. It's wonderful. Here's the thing, though. God never wants us to just send checks and then not have our lives also be involved in his mission. And so, what does it look like for you if you don't have any margin to begin to reevaluate your, the way that you've structured your life to say, what, what, what can give, even in small ways? Maybe it's, um, I'll, I'm going to transfer my gym membership. So I'll go to the Y at Crosstown or, or Midtown Cycle Bar or the Croc or whatever. I'm just going to work out in this part of the city more. Or maybe it's I'm going to serve on, on nonprofits with, with organizations that are here in Midtown instead of other parts of the city. I don't know, maybe it's just getting involved in a community group in this church and helping us think through how do we continue to love the people here? How do we continue to get to know people that are here and learn how to serve them and invest our lives in this part of the city? I don't really know what it looks like for you, but I know if, if we're going to respond to God's invitation, it means we have to go in. We have to get close. We have to get proximate. So that's the second thing. Uh, we get behind. We get proximate. Thirdly, lastly, we get invested. We get invested. Um, Both God and Jonah weep in this passage. What are they weeping over? Look at verse uh, 11. God says to Jonah, should I not pity Nineveh? Now, that word pity is is the Hebrew word for compassion. It just means to be grieved. It means to have your heart break God is looking at Jonah and saying, Jonah, my heart is breaking over this city. And Jonah's weeping too. Look what he's weeping over in verse 10. God says to Jonah, you pity, same word, the plant. Your heart is breaking. You are grieved over this plant going away, that you've lost some comfort. God is weeping over the city. Jonah is weeping because his AC went out. Jonah is really only concerned about him and his comfort, and God is concerned about the needs and the concerns of an entire city of human beings that are made in his image. In fact, look at what he says in verse 11. God says, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? Now, that phrase, not knowing your right hand from your left, is just an a expression that just means you're living in a fog you're, you're, you're spiritually disoriented, spiritually lost. God's looking at Jonah and saying, he's, he's, he's pleading with him and trying to like speak some reason into him and saying, Jonah, these are real people. They really matter. And they don't know which way is up. They have all these problems and this pain and these struggles and they don't know how to fix it. They don't know what the root of their problems is. Does your heart not break over that? And then he adds this, bizarre little ending at the end of verse 11. Shouldn't I have pity for Nineveh and all these people? And also, much cattle. Like, I didn't know God loved cows so much. He's into cows. What what is that about? Well, it's fascinating. In the ancient Near East, cattle were integral to um, the the, uh, economy. That, that cattle provided labor, cattle provided you know, milk and food and clothing. And so God is, God is looking at not just individuals. He's not just concerned about individuals. He's also concerned about systems. He's concerned about the social and the economic fabric of this entire city. 
And you think about how God relates to our particular context. Yes, God cares about individual people here, absolutely. And when he sees our city, when he looks at Midtown and he sees neighborhoods that are ravished by generations of poverty and, and violence, his heart breaks over it. When he looks at um, underfunded schools in our city and that there are kids that are going to these schools that will have really no chance of getting out of just generational poverty, his heart breaks over that. When he sees unjust systems or uh, economic disparity and inequality of such drastic proportions, you know his heart breaks over these things. That he looks at our city and says, wow, there's so much about this city that is beautiful and great and amazing, and yet it's, it's filled with, with people that are, that are lost, that are disoriented, that don't know how to fix all these problems. And we have seen time and time and time and time again that God loves and his heart is invested in that which is lost. So much so that God didn't just send Jonah he sent his own son. Centuries after the story, he sends his own son, Jesus Christ. And how does Jesus describe himself? That he has come to seek and to save the lost. And then Jesus tells these stories and he says, I'm kind of like a shepherd who had 100 sheep. And there was one sheep that wandered away from the 99. And I went and sought after the one that was lost until I found it. He compares himself to a woman who had 10 coins and, and lost a coin and spent all night, all day sweeping, diligently searching, trying to find that lost coin. This is the heart that you see in God embodied in flesh in Jesus, is a heart to seek and to save that which is lost. And so just compare these two prophets. Compare Jonah, compare Jesus. Here you have Jonah outside of the city raging against it. In Matthew 23, you have Jesus outside of the city of Jerusalem weeping over it. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He's longing, his heart is longing to care for the city. You have Jonah outside of the city hoping that judgment will fall down upon it. And then you have Jesus outside of the city who's letting our judgment fall down upon him. He's crucified outside of the city, and as he is bearing the weight of your sin and my sin, you know what he's praying? He prays, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In other words, Father, these people, they don't even know their right hands from their left. He's praying for people that are so disoriented, so confused, as they're murdering him, so he can bear the weight of your sin and mine. He's come for that for those who are lost. And, and for some of you, for most of you, I'm guessing, that's your story, that you, you, were, you were lost, you were disoriented, you were in the fog, you didn't know how to make sense of life, and it's like Jesus broke into your life. He came in and he, he woke you up and he snatched you out of, out of uh, darkness and he brought you into the arms of the Father. And you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And as we've seen throughout this whole book of Jonah, God's love is never intended to just flow to us but it's also intended to flow through us, that he takes us, rescues us, enables us to drink in the depths of his mercy and goodness, and then he incorporates us into this bigger thing that he's doing in the world of showing his compassion to those who don't know it. So Jonah ends on a cliffhanger. 
it ends with this invitation, this open-ended, how are we going to respond? How is Jonah going to respond? And so that's how we're going to end. We're going to end this book. We're going to end this time by asking the same question of how are you going to respond? And how am I going to respond to this? How, how are we collectively as a church going to respond to this invitation that God has to, to pour out his compassion on Memphis? It's like God looks at us and says, should not I pity? Shouldn't I have compassion on Midtown? Shouldn't I have compassion on Memphis, that great city? Well, that's an invitation for you to consider this morning. Let me pray. Father, we hear these words, we hear this invitation and realize we, we are not fit for this. We don't know how to do this. We, we are <laughs> just as lost as anybody else. So, Father, please be gracious to us. Please have our hearts sync up with your heart. Help us to love what you love and to hate what you hate. Would you have our hearts be invested and in, in break over this place where you have put us? And help us by your spirit, help us by your, your, um, by your deep love for us to have courage to uh, think through ways that we can sacrifice, think through ways that we can budge, think through ways that we can give, ways that we can extend ourselves for the sake of our neighbors and for the glory of your name. And it's in that name that we pray.